0: Chapter 4, we saw last couple of weeks here, and we'll just read this again and we'll kind of launch off from here this morning. And we said this that you need uh, to go anywhere in this life, you need proper identification. If you're going to go on a flight somewhere, you're going to take off and go somewhere, you have to show your driver's license. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you're going to go overseas, you need a passport, you need to show proper identification, right? To go anywhere in this life, even spiritually, you have to know who you are and what belongs to you and who you are in Christ Jesus. And thank God we can know that, amen? We don't have to live through this life. You know there are believers that go through this entire life. Their name is written in heaven. They have their fire insurance. You know what I mean by that? They're not going to hell. If they die, they're checking out. They're going to heaven. But they can live on this earth for many, many years but never really know who they are in Christ Jesus. It's so important to know who you are in Christ, isn't it? Now we see in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, where he had, and there went out a fame throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the, Sabbath, the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up for it to read. And there was delivered to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened the book. He found the place where it was written. And by the way, he's reading Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. He gave it again to the minister and sat down. And all the eyes of them were in the synagogue, were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled In your ears. And all bore witness and wondered at his gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Now, we shared this over the last couple of sessions when we met last couple of Sundays that there's a difference between seeing somebody after the Spirit and seeing someone after the flesh, right? They said, Isn't this Joseph's son? What's the answer? No, God's son. They saw him after the flesh, and they didn't see him after the Spirit. We saw that in, in Mark's Gospel chapter six, we won't turn there because of time. In Mark's Gospel chapter six, verse five, it says, in Jesus, when he came to his own hometown, it says that he could there, not would there, do no mighty work, no mighty miracles, except lay his hands on a few sick people. And the Greek says, with minor ailments, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Now, you'll find that Jesus marveled two times in the New Testament. One was good, one was bad. This time in Mark 6, he marveled because of their unbelief. And then with the, uh, the other guy, he marveled at his faith. He says, no, you don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word only. My servant will be healed. Remember that, that centurion? And he marveled. He says, I haven't found so great a faith. Nowhere in Israel. So, two examples of <laughs> Jesus marveling. Now, what does marvel mean? It means to be amazed, surprised. Okay. How many of you, you can have a good surprise or a bad surprise? It's better to have a good surprise. But in all what we talked about in this, this portion of scripture right here, now look at Luke chapter 4, verse 28. Same chapter here, Luke chapter 4 and verse 28. And all that were in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, anger. When they heard what things? What He just said. The Spirit of the Lord's upon me. He has anointed me to do this, do this, do this. Set people free, basically is what He's saying. And so they rose up. Verse 29. They thrust Him out of the city where the city, well the, uh, led Him to the brow of the hill where the city was built, that they might cast Him down headlong. But He, passing through their midst, went on His way. Alright? So we brought out the fact that here's Jesus. You know, this is a regular thing on the Sabbath day. Jesus Christ would go into the Sabbath day which was Saturday for the Jews, all right? And we celebrate on Sunday, okay? I don't think it really makes any difference to God as long as you're serving God, right? And uh, as a custom was, they would read Scripture, and of course the New Testament hadn't been written yet. All they had was the, uh, the Torah, the five, first five books of the Old Covenant, you know what I'm saying? But Jesus would get up and he read scripture and he read Isaiah that we just, Isaiah chapter 61. But he made a statement that kind of threw a big curveball into the midst of that. And he says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And you can just imagine, well, you can see from what we read there, their response was like, What? In other words, he was saying, Jesus was saying this, the man that Isaiah was talking about, I am he. And they had an absolute conniption. In fact, we can see, we just read here, they wanted to take him and throw him over a cliff. <laughs> right? Now, it would be one thing if Jesus brought them bad news. He was actually bringing them good news. You said, the Spirit of God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. You don't have to stay poor anymore. I've come to re- you know, recover the sight of the blind, to heal the broken and all these wonderful things. You know, Well, they didn't take it so good. What, was, what they thought was bad news was actually good news. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes you, depending on a person's attitude, what is meant to be good news can be turned into bad news. You can say, by his stripes you are healed. And someone says, yeah, but I know someone that died. Well, I've got good news for you. We're all going to die someday. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good right now. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that we have to go out of here with some sickness or disease. We should live out the number of our days on this earth. Amen? Let me just set set something in order right here. There is no set time to die as a believer. In other words, on God's calendar, He's not saying, this is the day that so-and-so is leaving this earth. God does not have a thing. But that's this man's tradition. Someone said, well, it was their time. And they were young. No, 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 no. The Bible teaches us. I want to knock over a few sacred cows right now. That's all right. You hear the moon, that's okay. All right? But there are scriptures in the Bible that tell us that we can do things to either lengthen our life or shorten our life. Did you know that? Ephesians chapter 6 says, Kids, children, obey your parents. Know this, in the Lord that it might go well with them, that they might live long upon the earth. Did you know that? When, when No matter what age you are, if your kids, if you obey your parents, in the Lord, that's the key right there, in the Lord, in the things of God. It says, God says it'll go well with you, and you'll live a long life on the earth. Amen? Now, I was just thinking of this, uh, this account that actually happened. Brother Kenneth Hagin, my spiritual father, Had uh, uh, gone to heaven. The Lord took him to heaven, and his sister. His sister was healed of uh, under his ministry. She had uh, come down with uh, terminal cancer, and she was healed supernaturally by sitting under the word of God under Kenneth E. Hagin's ministry. Her brother, all right, and uh, and a few years later, it came back on her. Okay, but what you don't realize is this, is she what, she, what it took to get her healed the first time when the devil came back with a counter-attack. How many of you know the devil will always try to come back with a counter-attack? And you have to be ready for that, all right? I'm not trying to put fear in you, but he'll try to come back and try to find a way in, you know, and, and uh, well, make a long story short, she didn't receive her healing. She didn't receive her healing the second time. She left and went to heaven, and... Uh, and Brother Hagin, the Lord, took him to heaven. And when he went to heaven, his sister was, was standing there right next to Jesus. And she, uh, she came up to him in, the, in this vision. She, he's in heaven, literally in heaven. And she comes up to him and she says, Kenneth, don't feel bad that you couldn't get me healed this time. There was a reason why I couldn't receive healing this time. He says, she, he, she said, but you just keep preaching the way you're preaching. You know, And she goes, I'll tell you what you can do though. She says, my son has not been living for God. He was a believer. His name was Jerry. Mm -hmm. My son hasn't been living for God. Mm -hmm. And she said, uh, you go back and you tell him that things will never go the way they should go in his life unless he surrenders to God. He was running from God. He was running from God. You know people that run from God? Not a wise thing. He was running from God. He knew Jesus. And uh, so the Lord sent him back in his body, you know, and he had the opportunity to meet with Jerry, okay? And by the way, he is now a pastor. He's been a pastor in Dallas, Texas for many years, okay? And he shared with uh, his, his nephew, his sister's son, what, what she experienced, what he experienced in heaven, And you know what? He got on his knees basically in repentance and said, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. And he surrendered his life to the Lord. And then God called him to the ministry. And now he's a pastor for many years in in the city of of Dallas. Amen. But she said his sister was there in heaven. How many of you know when your relatives leave, man, they check out, they're going to heaven. Amen. That's the first thing you'll see when you go to heaven as believers. You're going to have a big family reunion. Amen. And I'll tell you what, they wouldn't, if they had the opportunity to come back, they wouldn't come back. How in the world would they want to come back after being in the presence of God in heaven? Amen. In my father's house are many mansions, the Bible says. (laughs) Glory to God. But she told him, she says, tell my son Jerry that that unless he surrenders to me. He knew the Lord, but he wasn't serving God. Amen. How many of you know you can know the Lord and not serve God? You can know I know the Lord, but not walk with Him. You're not walking with Him. You're not walking with God. And she said life will go miserable unless he surrenders to the Lord. It won't turn out the way he wants it to turn out. And I wonder sometimes, I wonder why things in people's lives don't turn out the way that they really should. And I think a lot of it goes back to, are we putting our heart into serving God? Do we only serve God when it's convenient? When things are looking good? But when your back's up against the wall and the pressure's on, what do you it shows a lot about our, our heart, doesn't it? When we're under pressure, when we are we are under pressure, what comes out of our heart at that time will determine who we really are. Sometimes that can shock us. <laughs> are you with me now? It's getting quiet. But you know, this is this is meant to be an encouragement today because we can decide if, hey, you're on this earth, your heart's beating in your chest, you're breathing today. There is time to change. Amen? The word repent simply means to make an about face, to do a 180. To turn, you're going this way, I'm going to go this way now. And it just pays to serve God. The scripture tells us that godliness is profitable, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come, the future life and the present life right now. Glory to God. And so uh, in this scripture right here, Jesus identified Himself. And He says, (coughs) Isaiah was prophesying approximately 500 years before He made this declaration. He says, I am the one that Isaiah is talking about. Now, we brought out this fact that Jesus found Himself in the Scriptures. And that's we're talking about proper identification. Jesus found Himself in the Scripture. And when He found Himself in the Scripture, He looked at the Word and He said... That's me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Amen. And you know Jesus preached that sermon at every town that he went to. He preached basically the same thing. The Spirit of... And if the people believed what he was saying and received what he was saying, then they received the miraculous. They received the miraculous. I often wonder sometimes because I, I see in a lot of places, and particularly in Africa where I see... Uh, missionary friends and acquaintances that I have that go over there and they preach the gospel and there's such signs and wonders and miracles. I mean blind eyes popping open like it's nothing. You know what I'm saying? Just a commonplace thing. Well their culture over there is they're taught to believe. Where in America we've been too educated. (laughs) Do you know what most of the Most of the the universities that are in America today, especially in America, are embalmed with unbelief and against Christianity, mocking Christ, mocking Christianity, embracing Islam, embracing Buddhism, embracing foreign religions, but rejecting Christ and making fun of Christians. And there are a a lot of times people send their kids into these... Devil's dens of colleges, so to speak, where they used to have a belief system. Then they go into these ungodly universities and they come out there questioning whether they believe in this or not. Okay? Well, well what is that? That's a demonic mindset that's in the people, in the hierarchy, educated people. Okay? Education's not bad, but my God, if it stands in the way of your belief system, something's seriously wrong with that. Amen? But Jesus stood up and said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. He located himself in the scriptures. John the Baptist found himself in the scriptures. We said last week that there are about 140 scriptures. And I have them up here. If you would like one after, I've got four or five copies left up here. If you would like it, you can take them with you. And uh, if we run out, I'll bring some more next week. How do you find yourself in the Scriptures? Well, there are f- these particular phrases. I made mention of this again. And this is how we learn. is by repetition. Well, You'll see the phrase, In Christ, whom, by whom, in whom, through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. You don't have to turn there. But the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in, in Christ, say the word, In Christ. If any man be in Christ, say, that's me. (laughs) You're in Christ. When you're born again, you are in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he or she is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Glory to God. Amen. When I I came to Jesus Christ, I I did not have a hard time giving up my old party lifestyle. It wasn't hard. Because what I got in place of that, you see, God's not opposed to you getting drunk. It's just how you go about doing it. How many of you know that? Ephesians chapter 5 says, be not drunk with wine. It says, don't be drunk with wine or alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit, yeah. speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And listen, on the day of Pentecost, they got so, this is nine o'clock in the morning. Nine o'clock in the morning, God says, all right, here we go. Here's the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Came in like a rushing mighty wind. Tongues of fire sat upon them. They heard them speak with tongues of magnified God. Amen. And the Bible says they thought they were drunk people. They thought they were drunk. Now, it had to be more than just the languages that they were speaking. There had to be some type of a symptom that appeared like they were drunk. And I'm not going to have a hand show, but how many of you ever gotten drunk before? You know what I'm talking about. Okay? That's why well, you want to have a good time. Right? <laughs> but listen, God's intoxication is holy and pure. Hallelujah and when you get intoxicated with god i'm telling you that's the best kind of heat. the bible calls god the most high <laughs> go figure <laughs> amen <laughs> what you been smoking most high <laughs> most high yeah. amen now, when I talk about getting drunk in the Holy Ghost, man, they, were, they were stumbling, they were, they, were, they were laughing. I'm telling you what. And some people think that's sacrilegious. Actually, it's biblical, okay? Mm-hmm, yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> and I remember the first time I got filled with the Holy Spirit, 1980, I got filled with the Holy Spirit initially when I got filled. I didn't even, I, didn't even, I never even heard the terminology of being drunk in the Spirit. I never, are you kidding me? I was so new at this. And I felt like I was drunk, but I was, so, I was bubbling over with laughter and joy. And I'm like, why do I feel so good? Yeah. Amen. And I was with my best friend and my sister. We're driving home. And I'm telling you, we were having a party in our car because I got filled with the Holy Ghost. They got filled with the Spirit. I mean, it was just joy, unspeakable, full of glory. And i tell you what, I feel bad for people that don't experience that. But it is available to every single believer. If there ever, ever was a time that we needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it's now. But in Ephesians, it says, don't be drunk, work with wine. It says, but be being filled. That's what the Greek says. Stay constantly filled with the Spirit. Stay constantly endued with power. Stay filled with God. And when we stay filled with God, we'll be so effective by accident that we would on purpose. Amen? Well, what happens when you get filled with God? You get filled with love. Amen? How do you know when you're... How many of you know your car can either be full tank, quarter tank, half tank, or barely enough? But it's just... You feel more at ease when your tank's full. Now, many, many years ago, I tell this story sometimes. I was uh, in our first church. We were having a prayer meeting on a Friday night. And uh, we got to have one of those real soon again here. I'll tell you that right now. And... Uh, so, the car that I had at that time, it was a Ford Explorer, and it, had to, it, it indicated on the, uh, the computer screen how, much, how many miles you had left before you ran out of gas. It would tell you how many miles, okay? So, about an hour before the prayer meeting, I had to run somewhere, and when I got in the car, it went from showing like 15 miles to empty to like, like .1 miles to empty, And I'm thinking, how did this just happen? It jumped from there to there, and I'm like, I'm like, whoa! I got to be at church. I got to open the doors. We got to have a prayer meeting, you know. So I I started getting real antsy. I started getting real nervous about this because I thought, I'm gonna, I even called and said, pray if I don't run out of gas. I got to get to a gas station, you know. Well, it worked out. (laughs) And when I got to that gas station, I put that that thing in the car and pumped it up with gas. All of a sudden, I was like, I can relax a little bit here. Well, the Holy Spirit showed me something. He said, "How did that make you feel when you were running on empty?" He talked. talked to me inside my spirit. He says, "How did that make you feel?" He says, uh, he asked me that question. I said, "Well, I was I was pretty uptight. I started to sweat a little bit, you know, anxiety and all this kind of stuff." He goes, "Well, how did you feel after you filled it up?" I said, "I was at peace. I was at ease because I knew I could drive her 300 some miles and everything's good." Amen. He said, well, Keith, that's exactly the way it is. When you're running low spiritually, you're living life on pins and needles, easily irritated, easily frustrated, and easy to get in the flesh. Are you with me? And I thought, hmm, do I want to stay full or do I want to live life half empty? Amen? Well, I didn't take any rocket scientists to figure that one. I said, Lord, I, I just want to stay full. He says, well, it's what you do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that determines how the rest of the week is going to go. It's what you do Monday through Friday. Okay? If the only time that we're getting filled with the Holy Ghost, now we should in church. Amen. But if the only time that we're, Opening our Bibles and hearing things is only on Sunday. That's not enough. That's not enough. We've got to take some Scripture, at least one Scripture a day, two Scriptures a day, and uh, pray a little bit each day and stay filled with the Spirit. Stay filled. And when you stay filled, it's not, you won't get so easily irritated when things don't go your way. How many of you know there's sometimes you get up and things just don't go exactly your way? People make statements like, well, I got out of the wrong side of bed. That has nothing to do with it. Right? There's going to be plenty of opportunities to get in the flesh. But when you're filled with God and you're filled with the Spirit, glory to God. When when temptation comes at you and someone acts ugly towards you, it's easier to respond in the Spirit of what Jesus would do than to get in the flesh and bite someone's head off. Are you with me? When you're filled with God and you're filled with the Spirit... The first thing that's going to show up in your life is love. Receiving God's love and then giving out His love to other people. Amen. It's the most wonderful Christian thing. I'm telling you, listen to me very carefully. To allow love to govern your life is the most powerful thing, the most powerful revelation that you can have. Perfect love casts out fear, the Bible says. Amen. And really when it comes right down to it, people, they know if you're a put on or not. If they'll know, people know, they know, they're not, you're not, you can't con people. They know deep down if you really love them and care for them. How many know what I'm talking about? But when you're filled with God, God is love. You get filled with Him. I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but we went there anyway. When you get filled with God and you get filled with love, it's just so much easier to flow through life. It really is. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'll just quote it. It says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. Now, here's what I want to go over to Jeremiah for a minute. Jeremiah chapter 15. Jeremiah chapter 15 we're talking about proper identification and who you are in Christ and the way that you find yourself the way that you find yourself in Christ is to find the scriptures that talk about in whom by Christ through Christ in other words i can do all things paul said through Christ through Christ that's a preposition and that shows your relationship that's who you that's what you have that's who you are i can do all things through Christ, I found myself there. And I, I told you last week the first time I did the first time I did this when I was taught this, like you are today, is I put my name right above 2 Corinthians five seventeen. I wrote, "If any man be in Christ, I put Keith." I wrote it in my Bible. I still have that Bible at home. It's uh, it's pretty old, but I, I wrote my name in there, and I said, "That's who I am. I am a new creature." in Christ Jesus. That's who I really am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. See that scripture right there? Jesus was made sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. I have that means I have right standing with God. Hallelujah. Now, let's talk about a proper application of this. How we're going to do this. If you take a scripture uh, I liken it like this. Let me, let me use this example. How many of you know it's not what you eat that benefits you, it's what you digest? you all agree with that? Mm-hmm. Physically speaking, it's not what you eat that blesses you and nourishes you, it's what you digest, right? When uh, I remember vividly when my son was probably six or seven months years old, he started eating uh, whatever it was, maybe it's a different time frame, he started eating solid food, you know, and uh and my wife had made a bowl of spaghetti, a little tiny bowl of spaghetti for my son who was sitting in that big that high chair. <laughs> How old would he have been? Yeah, six months Not six, six months, see. <laughs> How old was he then? Whatever it was, I don't know I can't remember it's been a while back, almost twenty eight years ago, you know and uh. And I tell you, he was having the time of his life. He put that spaghetti in his hair and his face. He rubbed it all over himself, you know. And, and I mean, he's laughing, having a good time, you know. That was about a month ago. No. <laughs> you now, and uh, he was having a good time. How many of your kids have did that before? You know, what I'm saying I'm just he discovered food. Maybe just wearing the food, you know. But see, that didn't really impress me because I had to clean it up. We had to clean it up, man. It was a big mess, you know. What impressed us is when he got the food in his mouth and he swallowed the food, we're like, good job, good job. And I'll notice this scripture here, and I'll tie this in. In Jeremiah 15, verse 16, it says this. Wait till it's up on the screen here. Jeremiah 15, and verse 16. Here we go. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. Hmm. And thy word was unto me joy and rejoicing in my heart. We'll stop right there. Now notice that Jeremiah said this. He says, I found your words, Lord, and I ate them. And I ate them. Okay. Can I borrow, borrow someone's Bible for a second? Can I borrow your Bible just a second? He said this, I words were found and I did eat them. Now, does that mean he took his Bible and went <laughs> and took a chunk out of it? No. He said, thy words were found. I'm sure Lisa's glad I didn't take a chunk out of her Bible right now. Amen. But I'm just making a point. He said, thy words were found and I ate them. Okay. This is meditation. Meditation is digestion of the word of God in your body. How many of you ate before you came to church today? Raise your hand. Just a few of you. How many of you ate over the last 24 hours? Raise your hand. Only a few of you have. rest of you on a big 40-day fast or something, right? All right. How many of you ate food in the last week? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, your job was to eat the food. And once you ate the food, your body knew what to do with it. Your job was to eat it, swallow it, and as far as you're concerned, it's done. Your job is done. When the food goes down into your stomach, you know, and I don't know all the technical terms, but you know, it, it knows what to do with it. It breaks it down in a form that, that extracts nutrients from the food that you ate and sends it to the rest of your body to nourish you today. Now, it's not the Word of God that sets you free. It's the digested Word that sets you free. And the way that you digest God's Word is to meditate on the Word of God. To meditate, to think, to ponder. Now sometimes when you say the word meditation, people think of Far Eastern religions. Let me tell you something. God's the one that invented meditation. But to meditate on the Word of God. Well, that just sounds like a lot of work, Pastor Keith. Well, let me ask you this. Do you know how to worry Anybody here ever worried before? Guess what? You meditated, but on the wrong thing. <laughs> and most of the stuff that you worried about worry about hasn't even happened in your life. But your body's preparing for a failure. That's what fear does. Right? When you worry about something, something that hasn't even taken place yet, man, your body starts to respond to that. I remember way, way back in the day, way back, I, I had some things happen. Uh, it, we had some things come against us. And uh, I started developing an ulcer for fear and worry about this particular thing. Man, I, I had to repent for that because I was wrong for not trusting the Lord. I had to get back in faith, get back in rest, get back in peace and say, Lord, forgive me for not trusting you. When I, You see, when you worry and you fear... Do you know that's pride? Did you know that? Now when we think of pride, we often think of the guy or the lady that struts down the street, man, they're just cocky and big head, you know, can barely fit through the door, right? But theres I'm telling you, that's that's pride, don't get me wrong. But there's a more subtle, most dangerous form of pride is worry habit. (laughs) And I was a professional worrier. Because my grandmother was. My mother was. I'm not blaming them. They just, they just passed down. I had to break that thing. I had to break that thing in my life and my family because that was a, a thing that was passed down I didn't want. How many you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Some of those things can go from generation to generation. And if you don't break that thing and stop that thing, it will continue on to the next generation. Yeah. But you have the power to stop it. And my grandmother and my mother were world champion warriors. If they had an Olympics, they would have got the gold. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. And I, I learned worry is a learnt behavior. Okay? And so, you know, I was around that all my life, you know. And so after I got saved when I was 16 and we got married when I was 22, 21 years old. And, man, I still had some fears and worries I had to get rid of in my life. It took a little effort. It took a little bit of work. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. Amen? And when you realize, when I realized, it, worry is basically saying, God, you're not big enough to fix this situation. <laughs> you're not big enough, Lord, I've, so I've got to take it on myself. I've got to worry about this. Okay? This really actually is a good Mother's Day sermon. Okay? Because moms, if you, if you learn how not to worry but cast your cares on the Lord, you'll be the most powerful, anointed, effective of, of, of a mother, grandmother you could possibly be. Dads too. You all get in on this. Amen? And you make a choice. I refuse to worry. I cast my cares in 1 Peter 5, 7. I cast my cares upon the Lord because he cares for me. And if he has the care, I don't have the care. I can lay down at night, close my eyes, and go to sleep. Have you ever tried to sleep when you're full of worry and fear? It's hard to sleep, is it? You wake up in the middle of the night. What are you going to do? What are you going to do, right? Are you with me? You don't have to fear. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. The Lord is going to take care of you. That's a prophetic word right now. God is going to take care of his kids. He's going to take care of you. He's going to watch over you. He's going to keep you. But the key to... Knowing who you are in Christ is to meditate on these scriptures, who you are in Christ, what you have, what belongs to you. Folks, if you just take one scripture, just one scripture, I like to simplify things. If you just take one scripture a day and you meditate on that scripture, write it on a little card, take it with you, pull it out, look at it, speak it out loud, you're going to get, I'm telling you, you're digesting the Word of the living God. It's going to get down on the inside of you and nourish your spirit. How many of you know your body needs nourishment? The right kind. Your soul needs nourishment. Your spirit needs nourishment. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I would say it like this. What the Word of God is, what bread is or food is to the natural body, the Word of God is to your spirit. The Word of God is spirit, food. Amen. And that's why today we're giving you word, scripture. We turn to scriptures. We look at scriptures. Because it's that word that's going to sustain you in the days ahead. When you have sufficient word on the inside of you, you can sustain yourself in the day of adversity, when the enemy comes against you or whatever. Temptation comes against you. Amen. But if you've got word on the inside of you, the devil's no match for you. I don't care what he brings at you. If you've got the Word on the inside of you. Now, go to Matthew chapter 8. Just got a few more minutes here. Matthew chapter 8. Glory to God. Glory to God. (laughs) Oh, when we know who we are in Christ, what belongs to us. Now, look at this right here. And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house he saw his wife's mother laid sick of a fever. So we'd say this is Peter's mother-in-law, right? And he notices, Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her. He didn't even say anything. Do you know there's healing power in your hands? Jesus didn't even say anything. He just walked over and just And the Bible says the fever left her. Amen? you blessed? Amen. The fever left her. And she arose and she ministered unto them. Amen? Now I think it's important to have the right motive to want to be healed. I heard a preacher one time, actually it was Brother Hagin again, he said this. Uh, he felt led to ask this person, had hey, something, wrong, something wrong with their shoulder and elbow, you know, and, and he, he asked this person, he says, can I ask you a question? Why do you want to be healed? Well, so I can play tennis better. Mm-hmm. Nope. So I can play tennis better. Nothing wrong with playing tennis. Playing golf, nothing wrong with it. Amen? The motive behind getting healed is not so that you can play that sport better. Their motive behind getting healed should be so I can, be, so I can serve God better. Because notice what Peter's mother-in-law did. She got up and she served immediately. She began to serve the Messiah. She began to serve Jesus. Amen? Now this, this wasn't necessarily spectacular. All she did was just touch. Amen? All Jesus just did was touch her. And all of a sudden, wow, I start to feel pretty good. Glory to God. I believe there's healing power in our hands. Every one of us that are believers in this place. If you're a believer, there is is a healer that lives on the inside of you. Use that illustration last week about the baby that's inside the mother, you know. Why is it so hard for us to believe that we're in Christ? We're in Christ. Amen. There's a healer that lives on the inside of us. If we meditate on that, it won't be hard to get people healed. If they just believe it. Praise God. Glory to God. Verse 15 says. And he touched her hand. And the fever left her. (laughs) The fever left her. The sickness left her. And the sickness will leave you. The fever left her. And she arose and ministered unto them. And. Verse 16, when the evening was come, they brought unto him, I guess the word got out here, many uh, that were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed all that were sick. Isn't that something? So evidently, Peter's mother-in-law, got healed. That's not when he denied the Lord. That's a joke, you know. You'll get it in a second. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. She got healed, and as a result, all these people started showing up at their door. Can you help me? My daughter needs help. My son needs, I need help. Can you help me? And people that had demons and devils. Let me ask you a question are demons and devils real? Of course they are. And sometimes they need to come out of some folks. How many of you know that? It's not just their weird personality. They're weird, man. They got some strange things about them. Well, there might be a demon there. I'm not trying to be demon conscious, but let me tell you something. Uh, We live in a day, we live in an age where there's much demon activity around. People are oppressed with devils. They don't even know it because they don't see it. Just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not real. But Jesus cast out the devils and he healed all that were sick. Now notice in verse 17, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Whoa. Notice again that Isaiah, it says that, All these things happen that it might be fulfilled. That's what Isaiah was talking about saying, Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. That's proper identification. Jesus took my infirmities and He took my diseases and what He bore I need not bear. (laughs) If I meditate upon that and I swallow that and I digest that, when sickness and disease tries to come against my body, I'll have sufficient scripture nourished in my spirit to say, no, you know, devil. Now, listen, it's not wrong to have symptoms because symptoms, it's like this. It's not wrong to be tempted. It's wrong to yield to it. Every believer, Jesus was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. okay. That should help a lot of people. It's not a sin to be tempted. That doesn't mean you're an evil person. Jesus was tempted, but he passed it up. Okay? You can be tempted to do wrong. You can be tempted to have a wrong thought towards someone. An evil thought. That doesn't mean it's your thought. Okay? So just because you have a bad thought, some evil, an evil thought comes to you, doesn't mean that that's you. How many of you know, i For the most part, all of us, from how many of you know, if you're honest with yourself, you're going to have bad thoughts towards someone during the course of a week? How many know what I'm talking about? Maybe before you showed up here today, you got a bad thought. Got to shake this off so I can receive today. That doesn't mean it's your thought. But notice this right here, that it might be fulfilled that was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now let's go over there and we'll close here what he's referring to. In Isaiah 53, and we'll stop here. In Isaiah 53, this is the scripture that, that Matthew 8.17 is referring to right here. Okay, Matthew 8.17 <coughs> In verse, uh, let's start with verse 1 here. Isaiah the prophet is prophesying about the Messiah, about Jesus Christ, about 500 years before he became flesh. Now we know that he did pre-exist with the Father. He's never had a beginning, never had an end. But he became flesh. There was a time when he became flesh, but he always existed, always. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground who hath no form or comeliness that we should desire to see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. So in other words, he's saying here, he's not going to have these physical characteristics that are like a movie star. <laughs> That's that recent Jesus movie that came out. You know, Jesus is real good looking, you know. And my daughter was joking around. She said, I'll have no problem following him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it says right here... <laughs> He's not in here now, I can say yeah. that. So I'll follow that Lord. <laughs> oh my, praise God. But notice there, there was no outstanding physical characteristics about Jesus. In fact, very little, nothing is really said about Jesus' physical characteristics in the New Testament. So said, man, he was tall, dark, handsome, brown eyes, wavy hair. Didn't say anything about that. But it does does talk about His gracious words that proceeded out of His mouth. It's not so important what Jesus looks like, it's what what is He saying. That's the important thing. Verse 2 says, He will grow up as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground, who hath no form or comeliness, that that when we see Him there is no beauty that we should desire Him. Verse 3, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. And He was despised and we esteemed Him not. How many of you know this is a picture of our Savior? Mm -hmm. Verse 4. Surely. Say the word surely. surely. Now that didn't say maybe, perhaps. Surely. That means absolutely no mistake whatsoever. Surely. He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I've got books that are. Okay? And you might have a translation that says this. The word griefs and sorrows is actually in the Hebrew. Old Testament was written in Hebrew. It says, Surely He hath borne our sicknesses, that's the word griefs, and carried our <coughs> sorrows, pains. How many of you have a translation or a margin that says that in your Bible? Okay. Okay. That's what the Hebrew word says. Now, they translated in the King James here, you know, griefs and sorrows. But actually, He bore our sicknesses, and He carried our pains. That's why Isaiah, or Matthew said, Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. He translates it. He's referring back to this scripture right here. He became our substitute. He took our sickness. He took our pain and notice the rest it says but he was verse 5 he was wounded for our transgressions our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed say that we are healed one more time we are healed now Peter in his letter I'll just refer to it 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, Who his own self bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead unto sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Now Isaiah says, are healed. But Peter's looking back. By whose stripes ye were healed. Now is were, past, present, or future? It's past tense, right? I was healed. I was forgiven. I just have to receive it. It's easy to get forgiveness when you know that God's not holding anything against you. It's just there for you. Forgiveness, do you know that forgiveness for sin belongs to the whole human race? But that doesn't mean it's an automatic. They have to, they have to believe that. And all of you have done that, haven't you? You've made Jesus the Lord of your life. Well, it became vital in your life when you acknowledged that. So, yep, He took my sins. Yep, I acknowledge that. Glory to God. So, in other words, you don't have to suffer the penalty of your sins anymore because Jesus took your sins. He took your sins. Amen? And just as He took your your. your Just as He took your sins and iniquities, the Bible says, He also took your sickness and He carried your pain. And by His stripes, those lashes laid across His back by the Roman whipping post from the Romans, you know, these wicked, evil leaders, those stripes laid on His back were laid on there for your well-being. Your well-being. So when you meditate on there, like you think about that Lord, mm. you can envision that. I can, you know, if I, you can envision it, whatever you want. How many of you know that? If I had you close your eyes right now, I said picture a big dog, black dog with white polka dots. <laughs> now can you see that? With a long black tail. How many of you see that in, in your mind's eye? Right, you can see that. Right. That's a form of meditation. And it's, God gave you an imagination to work for you, not against you. Someone said, man, that kid sure has a big imagination. You know, that's usually not a good thing. But actually, God gave you a weight, imagination, thing to think upon, to be constructive to you, and to add to your faith. And I envision myself. I envision Jesus, those stripes being laid across His back. All that. Now, he's not like that anymore. People say, oh, Jesus, he's so, all that blood running down his back and the muscle and the skin teared off. He's not that way anymore. But he was. But he was beaten for me, he was beaten for you. Amen. So uh, I don't have to walk through life beaten down with pain and with sickness. Now, that would include arthritis. What Arthur shows up, he says, you say, you got to go. Someone says, well, you know how it is. When you get to a certain age, you know that arthritis comes in. Arthritis is of the devil. It's from the pit of hell. And it doesn't belong to me or to you. And I don't care what the doc has said. What they said, you are redeemed from arthritis. And I release that right now. I release those that have had symptoms of arthritis... In your body right now. I loose you. In the name of Jesus. From arthritis. I speak to the spirit behind arthritis right now. That's in this body. I tell you right now Satan. Get out. Leave. Depart. Now. Out of every body that's in this place. In Jesus name right now. And I thank you Lord for newfound freedom and liberty from arthritis. Joint pain neck pain, back pain. I loose you from the spirit of arthritis right now. I break its power in Jesus' name over this congregation, over everybody here right now. ha, ha, ha. No more arthritis. No more pain. Arthritis is pain, isn't it? Anybody here had a bout with that here and there? Arthritis? Raise your hand. Okay. No more. No more. Say out loud I will not accept any more pain in my body. No arthritis has any dominion over me in Jesus' name. I am redeemed from arthritis, from all pain. And all sickness. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I wanted to share that with you. I could teach on this all day long and never exhaust the subject. There's so much in the Bible about this, you know. But in, in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In Jesus Christ, which you are, you are healed. You are healed. Right now. When you meditate on these scriptures, just like Matthew at seventeen, you're starting to digest that. It gets down inside your spirit. Healing starts to manifest. It, it digests in your spirit. I don't know how it works. I don't even know how my own di- digestive system works. We got to get over this thing of trying to figure everything out. We can be so inquisitive, like, "Well, how's that work?" You know. Well, listen. The Bible says the farmer plants the seed, waters the seed. And the, the seed springs up, but the farmer doesn't know how it works, but it just works. Right. You don't know. That's in Mark chapter 4 about the seed of the word. He knoweth not how, it says. But he st- I know how to plant a seed. How many, you know, that, that's, anybody could do that. Right? How many of you here could plant a seed? But how it grows, that's not up to you. Your job is to plant the seed. Water the seed. And the Bible says God gives the increase. One plants, one waters. God gives the increase. Our job is not to do the increase. It's God's job to do the increase. But our job is to plant the seed and then water the seed with the scriptures. Water. The first time you hear a scripture or a word or a truth, it's a seed. The second time you hear the same truth, you're watering the seed. Okay? But God giveth the increase. God gives the increase.